Welcome to another episode of Tech Salescraft. Our mission is simple. We want to bring exclusive insights from some of the most influential people in the technology sales scene. We want this podcast to become your weekly go-to for your tech sales inspiration. And if this is the first time you're listening, please subscribe to keep up to date with the latest releases. Good afternoon and welcome to the latest episode from Tech Salescraft with me, James Hounslow. And today I am delighted to be joined by Lee Campbell, who is the founder and CEO over at Cube Logic. Uh, before we get going on this, Lee, it'd be great for you to give us a little background as to who you are and who Cube Logic are. Yeah, thanks, James. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I'm Lee Campbell, uh, one of the founders of Cube Logic. And I've, I've been in the technology space going back over 20 years. Um, started my career at IBM uh, and then uh, moved into kind of more sort of software vendors, um, risk management solutions, primarily in the financial services and uh, energy commodity sectors. Um, and sort of back in the sort of 90s, early 2000s, I was very much kind of batch-based solutions that you you, you really had to kind of um, predetermine how you wanted to look at your risk and, and you know, very sort of fixed inflexible systems that we were involved with um, which led me really to look at business intelligence and more sort of flexible solutions um, to solve the risk management problems that that I was seeing in the marketplace at that point so that led me to found Cube Logic with with a colleague back in 2009 Mm -hmm. and the genesis of it really was to use business intelligence technology stack at that time to um, provide her sort of holistic risk management platform with more on-the-fly reporting, slicing, dicing, vis- visualizations, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was the, that was the genesis. Um, we got going pretty successfully early on. We got our first client within a couple of months. Build out the uh, the RiskCube platform. Um, we were you know based out of London. Primarily, our clients were in Europe initially in the energy commodity space. We had a couple of really really good um, tier one clients and then look to kind of move into the US around 2012. We didn't really have any footprint there. So we looked at kind of partners and ended up talking to OpenLink about, about helping us in the US and OpenLink were a kind of the, um, the number one kind of ETRM player in energy commodities at that time. And what ended up happening was they ended up instead of sort of helping us, they ended up buying the company back in 2012. Um, so it was quite a fast journey at that point. Mm. We were, you know, probably, you know, it was slightly unexpected. We were very, we were a very sort of young company, very new. But yeah, we so we so we joined up with OpenLink, who at that time, you know, had probably sort of four or five hundred uh, clients, and um, you know, we felt that would be a you know a good platform to kind of you know to 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 sell the uh, technology into. And indeed, some of our clients had. Uh, open legenda as, a, as an etrm mm-hmm. platform so that you know there was some synergies there and so we worked within open link going from sort of late 2012 to 2016 and open link themselves went through a number of ceos and their own sort of transition and i think you know what you know the original kind of um uh, genesis for doing the deal kind of got a bit lost in the organization we were very small compared to open link you know represented perhaps 1% of their revenue. So, you know, we've kind of got a bit lost in OpenLink, if, if I'm honest. So, you know, whilst we we continued to grow, you know, we added a number of really key clients during that period. You know, I think we kind of lost our way a bit in terms of, you know, the, the, the marketing and the direction. And, and, and so 
that kind of led me to kind of try to do a, a management buyout, which we did in 2016. So we so we 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 became independent again at that time. Uh, we had the basis of a of a kind of new team, but really at that point we were looking at a number of things. Really, three sort of three, I guess three initial problems I wanted to solve as we kind of kind of relaunched the company in 2016. One being, you know, reestablishing um, our brand as an independent and our and our you know our, our kind of customer service with our existing clients, sort of rebuilding our our, our relationships there, which was I think important. Mm-hmm. The second thing really was at, at, at that time and, and, and prior to that, we'd always sold the solution as a as a perpetual license on-premise solution. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to move to the cloud and, and offer a SaaS solution. So you know the way we the way I wanted to sell the the, the software and, and and license that software, you know, was 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 very different to what we've done in the past. The main objective number two was really about launching that. Mm-hmm that SaaS offering, which, which, which we did very successfully. And the third thing was really a, t- a technology um, a challenge. We had, you know, as I said, started the company in 20, uh, 2009. So seven years later, you know, technology stack moved on. You know, we, we'd invested in a, a user interface technology through the, through the browser that, that had kind of been, dis- well, was going to be discontinued. So um, the third strand of my sort of original strategy on relaunch was was to sort of rewrite that using html5 and some other other new technologies so those were the three three things we really focused on and you know post post open link hmm. and that you know i'm glad to say that that was that was successful um and you know we've we've grown rapidly ever since really and you know sold sold software on the on the cloud refresh the technology and you know are, you know again are a, a recognized brand within within that space interesting um it's been a great journey and i've probably uh, witnessed all of it in 2009 just outside of a uh, financial crash you decide to uh, to launch a business yeah what was going through your mind at that point why why then uh, was the opportunity to uh, to launch a business from scratch? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think from a timing perspective, you know, what we were, you know, what I wanted to to kind of offer the market was appropriate, I think. I mean, risk mm-hmm. management is almost in a way recession-proof because it's, you know, you're solving problems that the, the financial crash, you know, highlighted, yeah. you know, um, credit risk management, you know, a lot of bankruptcies, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt at that time, you know. So it was these, these were high profile um, uh, bankruptcies that, you know, in my view would lead people to think, that, you know, what the next thing I need to invest in is, is credit mm-hmm. risk management. So I think that was, you know, that was an appropriate thing. And then interestingly, the previous iteration of, of, of software that we did in credit risk kind of came about after the Enron collapse, mm. you know, so it was kind of, you know, these are sort of events that, that tend to kind of push risk management up towards the sort of top of the agenda. So from that perspective, I think it was right. I think secondly, the, the technology was a kind of emerged that was, you know, that was very appropriate to solve the problem. Yeah, I think previous sort of technology stacks, you know, were very batch based. It was very um, uh, inflexible. And, you know, what I'd learned leading up to 2009 was that clients always wanted a new type of report. They wanted to see their portfolio in a different way. 
and they always had to go back to the vendor to you know to write a spec do a report almost sometimes you know the data wasn't available in the way they wanted to to slice it at that point so you you know they always had to know in advance you know what their problem was going to be and the reality of it was that you don't know what tomorrow's problem is going to be today. Mm. So the technology that, that allowed you to kind of slice and aggregate the portfolio really quickly on the fly, really, I think, suddenly become available and, and was, was very appropriate to the, to the problems that people had at that time. So um, you go for it. In 2009, on day one, how much of a product did you have in your head on paper and how long did it take you to build or create something which you could show to a client that they may want to use? That's a good question. I think um, a lot of it was in my head. Most of it was in my head, I think. But what was really interesting was that, you know, I'd, I'd been in the, in the industry and around sort of credit risk management for a number of years leading up to that. So, uh, you know, I wanted to build a product it wasn't the output of a single client and a single project because yeah. I think, you know, what typically happens with software companies when they get off the ground, they get one client, they do something, they build it with that client and then they think, mm, that's great. I want to try and take that to market. But what they've actually got is a solution that's tailored to one client. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was build a solution based on having been in the industry and having understood many, many clients problems, build something totally generic that would be appropriate and and you know to different to different clients that would you know either utilities financial services companies commodities traders oil traders so you know so the solution was built from the the ground up not with any specific customer in mind that being said i think you know i was able to show something quite quickly in terms of a concept mm. using you know really good you know microsoft bi technologies that allowed you to kind of almost show the kind of concepts quite quickly with, you know, without having to do a whole lot of the kind of, you know, core back-end detail that, you know, has taken many, many years to, to get to. You know, the, the type of technology stack that we used and, you know, and the fact that I kind of really understood and knew what I wanted to show enabled us to show something to, to, to prospects quite quickly. And it also, you know, built up a lot of relationships in the, you know, in the years leading up to 2009. And I knew a lot of credit risk managers and risk managers that would be quite receptive to listening to what I had to say. Yeah. You know, so they'd be open-minded and, you know, would, would be interested. So, you know, the first client came quite quickly, but they really bought into the, the BI concept rather than saying, oh, you know, show me the product. Okay. I like it. You know, it was like, I like the concept. I like the things you're saying. And indeed the first client we did, you know, we worked with actually did a, num a couple of other types of BI problems with them as well. So, you know, they just, I think they really bought into the technology stack rather than a specific product. I think some of the clients that followed were more about, you know, I've, I've got a problem, you know, that I want you to solve and it's, and it's in credit risk or, or whatever. So I think we we're quite lucky in a number of ways that you could really demonstrate a concept quickly with that, with that stack rather than having to kind of, you know, lock yourself away in a room for, for sort of a couple of years and then come up with something. Which again, you know, is difficult if you know, because you, you know, where do you get the money to sort of fund it while you're doing that? Yeah. So when did when did you know the product was ready for somebody to look at? Did you go through a couple of iterations, or did you effectively just use the network of people that you knew at potential clients to effectively build it? Within a couple of months of, of starting, we had something 
demonstrable that we could show as a as a concept using sort of cubes and excel pivots to, to mm -hmm. kind of slice data and show you what it's going to be like first version was was fairly limited i think and you know it was really just about some gathering a bit of data exposure aggregation and sort of slicing and dicing of, of the basic stuff but you know the, the roadmap that i'd put together had all the kind of forward analysis piece and then i think the second or third client that we got really wanted a full kind of reference data user interface which in the original kind of idea wasn't you know we were going we weren't sure whether we'd even want to do that but the third client really wanted that so we so we then you know we embarked on a big kind of user interface build out in sort of mm. 2010 11 which you know was a bigger more traditional kind of problem that we had that we solved so it was you know more of a traditional kind of uh, software build out of a, of a, of a sort of web based front end you know that client was was quite sort of patient i guess in terms of you know getting getting that getting that ui and indeed you know it's you know if we look back now sort of 12 years later you know we've we've just you know we haven't stopped building yeah. stuff really so going back to that um at, at that point you were the salesperson weren't you you were selling the um the product how important do you think that was that it was you having those conversations with the client which enabled you to effectively say whether or not you'd be able to go and build what they were looking to do if it'd been a an account executive they may not have had the same kind of like ability to say yes or no or even listen and uh, understand that to take the journey that Logic obviously went with that, that client yeah i think when you're a startup i think it is a completely different you know sales strategy you know sales engagement i think you as a founder or you know or, or someone with that sort of reputation you, you you know you're selling by reputation you're building up trust with people that you know you know and will need to really you know almost take a risk on the thing okay mm. because you know it's a startup right there's that's a you know you when, when a client goes with a startup it's it's you know they are taking some risk there because you know if you look at what you typically have to go through when you're selling it's well i want to look at you know, want three years of audited accounts. How many people have you got in the organisation? What's your support? You know, an RFP will come up with all these different things. And as a, you know, six-person startup, you you yeah. you know, you just clearly, you know, you don't have the answers to all those things at that point. So, you know, one of our first clients was a, a FTSE 100 utility mm. in the UK. So, you know, that would have had a procurement process and all these things. And I'm, I look back and I just I think it was quite almost incredible that they went with this really, yeah. to be honest, you know, you wouldn't have thought that that, that was possible, but, but, you know, I had some good relationships in there with, with the, 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 the credit risk manager at the time. And I think, yeah, they must've, I, I don't know how difficult it was for them to, to kind of get it through their own procurement, but, yeah. but I guess that, you know, they clearly managed to do that, but it's, yeah. you know, looking back, it's quite interesting. I think it's great. It's, it's a phenomenal uh, achievement. Um, to do at what point between then and uh, and the venture with OpenLink did you hire any salespeople or were you effectively doing all the sales up until OpenLink? Well, I mean, it was you know my colleague as well, David Priestley, was yeah. you know, had a background in in selling, so you know, he could do the kind of the, the in the high level you know sales engagements and and I was more that you know the almost like the the 
the detail person, the, you know, the yeah. demo guy, you know, the technical salesperson. So the two of us were, a, a, an, I think, a very, very strong team in, in the early years that really, um, you know, covered all the, all the kind of bases that you, you would need. Yeah. You know, I think when you look at it now, what we're trying to build is, you know, a sales organization that uh, is a bit more process driven. It's, you know, it's a bit more traditional when you look at software companies, how, how they structure it, you know, a separate pre-sales entity, separate marketing, all those things, you know, that as you grow and scale, you need. But at the time, you know, you have to, as, as a startup, you have to kind of do all these different things yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that has its merits, actually. And I think, you you know, you can be in a meeting and you don't have to say, well, you know, I'll go and ask someone or I'll go and get approval or I'll, you know, I'll get back to you from our product guys or I'll ask my CTO because you're, you, it's your entity. Yeah. It's your, you know, every answer is going to be, you know, in the room. Hmm. Interesting. Have you changed that by the time OpenLink arrived or did you see OpenLink as the <laughs> to expand sales then yeah i think but when we did we were still i think we only had maybe 20 staff or even maybe less maybe 18 staff when we did when we did the open link transaction um so the sales organization was not any different to what it than, than it was at the start it was david and myself doing it basically Obviously, when we go into OpenLink, we have suddenly a completely different world where there's a, a global sales team, mm. you know, a global account management team, you know, you're dealing with, there's a pre-sales team, you know, there's a marketing function that's separate, you know, and you have to navigate that. I guess yeah, probably it's fair to say, you know, we found that quite difficult because, mm. you know, we had a very specific way that we would do things and, you know, we were stepping on people's toes, you know, we were you know, people didn't really understand what they were selling. So it was, it took, you know, it took a while to get to a, a point within OpenLink where it, it kind of worked more effectively. You know, if you look at the three, three and a half, four years we were in OpenLink, there's probably about a year where it was working very, very nicely, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they, you know, they had some internal kind of changes of management. Um, they had some internal politics around where our product would fit against Ender and some of these other things. So we had, you know, navigated all those challenges, but there was, there was a period where we were, you know, selling quite effectively in, in Europe and, 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 and also in the States actually. So we did win some deals during that period, some, some, some big deals that perhaps, you know, had we been the sort of small startup, we may not have won at that point. We also lost some deals because of the, the situation we were in, but yeah, yeah it was a swings and roundabouts really. Yeah. What was plan B, or I guess opening was probably almost plan B that kind of came to the forefront. When you got to three years, you had a product that was selling in Europe. You had a product that was selling in the US. The ideal scenario, the two biggest uh, financial continents, really, that um, that you can go for. What were you thinking was your plan to scale on the sales side of that? Because you at that point are kind of chief product officer your ceo um and your your leading sales that becomes quite a challenge at that point were you thinking about what letting go of one of those you know as you start you're wearing a lot of hats you're doing a lot of jobs and as you go through the the, the growth cycle you know you, you hire more senior people you're trying to you know you're trying to empower them to do their bits 
And when you're a certain size, you know, maybe 20 or 30, then, you know, maybe there's half a dozen people that are doing multiple things and they, you know, they kind of get comfortable with that. And then you go through another sort of um, sales cycle, uh, growth cycle. And then, you know, you have to kind of, you, you yourself have to give up more stuff and, and delegate more stuff, but also those people that you hired also have to do the same. Mm. So you end up, you know, with some challenges there because not everybody wants to do that. They know every, you know, some people really like very small companies where they're doing many things. And so yeah. some people struggle to ever kind of let go. And I think, you know, you see some businesses where the founders, you know, still doing things, you know, 20 years later and it just, it's limiting. Mm. So if, I think if you want to grow it to a certain point and keep it, you know, keep it working and scalable, you, you know, you have to, you know, go on your own journey about what, what you're doing and, and, and empower people and let, you know, just let them get on with it to an extent. And then I think when you do that also, you have to come up with a, a structure whereby, you know, if you look at where we are now, you've got, you know, a senior leadership team that needs to work together. Mm. You've got, you know, a sales organization that, you know, might be 10, 12 people that, you know, needs to work together. You've got multiple people working on different mm. things. You need a coordinated marketing strategy that that is lined up, especially when you've got different geographies, different mm. products. You know, you've got salespeople in different regions that need to coordinate and work together under a sort of common leadership. You know, you need things like a CRM, you, you know, suddenly you've got a board of directors, you need to be able to, you know, tell them quarter on quarter what you're going to sell. I mean, all these sort of things that, you you know, we need to do now, uh, you know, are, are often alien to some people that, you know, were with us at the, at the beginning because they just, it was just, it's, you know, they just never needed to do that. The need to collaborate was probably less and it was just a conversation between one or two people rather than a team of team of 10. Yeah. Um, so on that, the three, the three biggest challenges for any tech founder um, is uh, hiring the right talent, finding the right investors um, and acquiring new clients. You've been pretty strong at being able to choose the right leadership how did you go about that and, and assessing and then holding on to that leadership? Because that is kind of what enables CubeLogic to be who it is today, really, isn't it? Um, having that that team that you have there, which has been able to, uh, to push you on. So how, have you, how in the interview process, how did you identify these people that they, they were going to be able to take the journey uh, to the next level? Mm, that's a good Good question. I, mean, I think we've been lucky in many ways. I think um, if you look at, you know, the the people that we've brought in during the once we did the, the management buyout, mm. I think you know, really a set of key key real leaders actually that have taken us from from that post opening journey from to where we are today. You know, those kinds of people. I think you know, if I look at all of them, I mean, I think they it was you know they weren't just completely you know, put out an ad and try and interview a load of people and get someone in, you know, I think if, if you know, if you look at Tony, he was, he, you know, we met him through open link. So we, you know, we kind of built, built a relationship, work with him in one, you know, in, in that environment. And then, you know, the opportunity to, to pull him into cube sort of a later point, which was great. So he was, a, he was a known quantity. He was, uh, you know, uh, and has been a great, you know, great leader for us. You know, I think Roderick, similar case in the, in, in the US. You know, you, when you work with someone for a period, 
you know you get a good idea of how they work so you know he we were lucky to be able to get him to kind of join us in the in the mbo from OpenLink. so those two guys you know came you know th through that through that mechanism really rather than just externally trying to trying to hire people yeah carl also joined you know sort of the post open link as somebody that we'd worked with in in the past a number of uh many many years ago at a previous company and then he was he was a risk practitioner so he worked as a sort of cro and he was in in RBS and Barclays, you know, so you know, he done he done multiple sort of senior roles. So I think he brought a, a very different perspective to to us, you know, as someone that had come from both the sort of technology vendor background, but also had spent many many years as a as a as a pra risk practitioner. So that brings you, you know, that kind of um, skill set, which has been great. And then more recently, I think get to a point in your cycle in your growth where. There are nobody, you know, there's nobody left in your kind of network to hire. Then you, you know, then you have to start, yeah. you know, working with, with, with um, recruiters, you know, looking at, you know, trying to, trying to come up with the right, the right profile of people. And that's, you know, that's harder, but obviously I think, you know, if you, if, if you find the right kind of um, headhunters, they, they get you a, a good sort of subset of people you know, that pre-screen that can, you know, are, re are relevant. And then, you know, there's a, you know, the interview processes that we go through, you know, it's multiple kind of um, discussions with different people within the organization. You, you know, it's, it's never easy. I think, you know, you're always, you know, taking a certain amount of risk when, when you bring on a, a, a sort of senior leader externally that you've never really worked with before, but, you know, you just have to use your experience and just try and ask them the right questions. And, and, see if they get the right answers but of course if you're hiring a salesperson i think it's even more difficult because you know salespeople can sell themselves yeah right so you know i think any any good salesperson will be good at an interview yeah right so it's getting below getting beneath that and understanding actually well what have you really done you know and it's yeah. you know getting under the veneer and actually trying to really you know ask the right search questions but also I think a lot of it is about, you know, what questions are they asking me? Yeah. You know, what does that tell you? You know, because yeah. I think that's, you know, been really interesting for me is, in, you know, it is a two-way process and it's not yeah. just about them answering your questions. It's, a, I think a lot of it is about what questions are they asking you about this? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what made you really decide to do the, the management buyout? Because, is it your entrepreneurial spirit? Is it that you felt more for your clients and you could offer more? Because you could have taken the easy road in, yeah. uh, in OpenLink. I think there would probably would still have been some success, probably less sleepless nights. Yeah. So what, what suddenly made you wake up and decide that this is the, uh, the right thing to do? I think it was a number of things. I think, you know, I had a sort of personal sort of reputation and relationship with with many of the earlier clients that that had invested in in us yeah. and i felt you know towards the end they weren't really getting the outcome that that we'd promised them hadn't really happened i think and it's not really OpenLink's fault right if you're one percent no. of the revenue you're just not going to get the focus from that company right? right i just think you know and in hindsight we probably should have understood that really 
but you know, you know having said that you know i think there were some great things that that happened during that period. we met some good people we, you know we, we acquired some some good clients and you know there was some, you know some stuff we learned from 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 some of the people in that in that organization who were very very good people so i think but it just felt like that you know they, it wasn't the outcome you know that that you that we really wanted and i think you know having in you know in founded something and invented some kind of technology and and, and, a, and a product it, you know there's an element of it's you know it's your kind of creation and you you know mm. you want to see it thrive and mm. it's so it's hard just to say oh, for, you know don't you know I'll do yeah. something else it's going to be fine so I think you know there was always that and I always felt as well that the opportunity was was great I I, I felt that you know the there was a there was still a big upside to the whole thing. The, the, yeah. the technology was appropriate, and and the technology had also moved on as well. I think things like you know cloud and software as a service and all these other things, I felt you know ex- again extremely appropriate. So you know at that point you could say, well, we'll, we'll do a, another startup and we'll you know try and do some something else. And it, you know, it, I just think it was too good an opportunity to miss to kind of go back to the original people and say, look, we're gonna you know we're gonna improve this, and you know we're gonna refresh the whole thing and you know you're going to be part of that and you know and you invested in us 10 years ago you know you know that was definitely the right decision for you so I think that was that was good so your own I think it's your own reputation the fact that it was kind of your baby and you you know you want to see it succeed I think those were the driving factors and I you know and and ultimately I mean you know it was to me it was there was an opportunity to to do a lot more it was almost unfinished business, you know. Yeah. So if you were sitting down talking to a, a couple of founders who were in a similar position to um, to you back at the point of uh, OpenLink acquiring you and they were considering being acquired after um, three years, with hindsight being a great thing, what would you advise them to, to look at? Because as I said to you before this, there's a number of businesses that you see now being picked up by much larger organizations what would you be telling them to think about um to make sure that they were making the right decision that this was the right path i think i would say you know you know don't be in any rush to do it i think you know if you want to do it early also make sure it's not it's a it's a it's a company that's not too big as well because i think if you're very small and you know you just get eaten up by someone huge you're just going to get lost so mm-hmm. i think yes you can look at you know doing doing something early but i think you've got to be very very careful if you do that as to who it is and what their plan is mm. you know the size of that company what their plan is whether you you're a, you're going to be a significant part of that forward plan or not or whether you're just getting mopped up mm. you know to tick a box so i think it's 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 a really difficult one i mean i would say you know that you want to establish yourself and then, you know, when you get to a certain point where you think you want to do something for whatever reason, it might be for, you know, to accelerate growth, take mm-hmm. a bit of risk off the table, you know, very, you know, all these different reasons, it's got to be the right size of, of acquirer mm-hmm. with the right kind of product and market strategy that, that aligns with where you think you need to be going. But you, all, you you take a massive risk because, you know, what people say and what they do can also be different, right? And I think once you lose control, that in, you know, you're not going to be able to drive the decision. So yeah. someone could, you know, buy you and then a week later they can 
buy something else that's you know, or, or change direction and it might not include your product right. or your ideas so i think you've got to you've got to realize that there's a you know you're, you're losing control you're taking a risk is it worth it yeah can you you know can you keep keep going on your own for a while and then you decided to uh to re-go the rebranding piece was obviously crucial um to let people know exactly who you are i think identifying a, a brand is pivotal for for business was there any points to that where you knew there was landmarks that you were looking for or milestones to hiring salespeople and 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 really kicking on because i guess at that point you've got all the experience you've had from before building this product i guess even when you were sat in with 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 OpenLink, although you may not have been able to affect too much, I imagine your your brain was doing overtime as to where this was all going to go and uh, uh, and what you need to do. And I imagine that happened quite quickly outside of it. But did you just did you just take it a step at a time, or did you say, right, I need to get to this amount of revenue and then bring in sales? Tony was kind of like a coming together is kind of like the perfect storm like the the uh, the right man at the right time and was there a plan other and above that or as i said there were sort of three key things that we really you know had to solve which was you know the sort of client relationships of the existing base the you know the the, the technology and, and 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 the cloud but then there was obviously the the small matter of actually you know winning our first deal post open link which was mm-hmm. Um, which was significant. That was a, that was actually a you know a couple of really significant deals that we got um, beginning of 2017 that really kind of really got us going. I think post opening, you know, there there was a decent amount of recurring revenue there, but not not enough to just you know just assume it was you know we were going to just carry on. It was you know we needed to start winning deals, and also I think it's quite difficult. And challenging when you go from a perpetual to a to an annual recurring model yeah. because the first couple of years of that you're you know you're not getting big chunky license fees that can cover hiring a few people and thinking you know we're, we're good now we've we've got cash that's going to last us you know until the next deal what you're doing is you're, you're taking smaller amounts up front but you're locking in value every year yeah. so that initial kind of transition to a to an annual kind of SaaS model is hard if you haven't got external funding. Yeah. You know, so it's trying to balance the growth along with that transition to, to, to sort of less cash. So cash, mm. cash flow is a real, you know, a real struggle in the first couple of years as, as we transition to that model. But when you get through that hump, then suddenly every, you start every year with a good chunk of, of you know, of, of, of locked in revenue and a bit more, you know, I think you get you gain a bit of confidence in, in in making business decisions at that point because you, whilst you still got to you know win new business and you know generate revenue, you you you've got a, a good starting base each year. And every year that you kind of lock in further clients, it gets easier. Yeah. The challenge really is trying to get get ahead of that so that you you start growing EBITDA because. Yeah. You know, I think from 2016 through to 20, we grew the revenue a lot, but we also grew the cost base, you know, along with that, you know, we're successful, we, we were growing, but, you know, you've, at some point, you've got to start growing the EBITDA as well as the revenue. That that brings me on to the, uh, to the next uh, interesting uh, point. You're a technologist at heart. Mm-hmm. You've built technology for a large part of your career. At which point did you realise you needed to be a business leader 
and a business owner and the technology bit kind of comes second nature and and I'd also how much time do you get to roll your sleeves up in the technology now or do, or do you have to leave it to the team you put in place yeah I mean it's it's a transition right and I think mm. it's some people probably don't want a transition or, or or can't I mean I think for me it's I've, I've kind of enjoyed it because it's they are different challenges mm. completely you know you're learning different things but you've got the base of te- of technology that you know you spent 20 years doing so you understand mm. these things but you know we had you know we had a great sort of uh you know guy where chris Cantwell was a sort of cto who's you, you know, I really empowered him to sort of work on all the all the all the cloud piece and the and the, and the SaaS. So you kind of you know you start stepping away from that. You know the the, the core development team. You know Riaz running that. I've just hired a CTO. So I split the CIO CTO role into two. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you've got two guys there that really are owning the whole thing. You've got to empower the people to do it. Really, to be, if I'm being honest, I've kind of you know I'm kind of I, I'm quite comfortable that you know I'm. I'm less involved in it than yeah. I used to be. And I think also, you know, the technology moves on so quickly that if it's not, if you're not dedicated to that, then pretty soon you, you know, you just, you can't keep up with it. Yeah. You can't run a business and keep up with, you know, the changes of technology mm. and the different, mm. you know, SaaS things going on and cybersecurity and all these different things, you know, it's a full-time job for one person. And if you try and cling on to that, you never get anywhere. No. So, you know, so, you know, I was quite happy to kind of uh, delegate and, and empower people to do these things. I, I think I, I think it's been a, yeah, it's, it's been a, a lib- almost liberating experience. And, you know, my, my job is very, very different today than it was 12 months ago. And 12 months ago, it was very different to what it was two years ago. I mean, it just, it does change. And I think, you know, I, I kind of enjoy change, really. Good. Um, it's been great talking to you, Dave. Before I let you go, um what would be a couple of key bits of advice um, if there were some guys out there now who were looking to start a company that first three years, what key bits of advice would you give to them as to how quickly to get a product in front of a, a client or how important it is to get revenue going quickly? Um, and what sort of challenges, if you remember that far back, what sort of challenges hit you early on that you weren't expecting? it's very difficult i think you've got to have the you know you, if you've got a good idea i think mm. it's you know it's just getting it in front of people as quickly as possible because the the, the first client is absolutely the almost like the, the the most important thing you'll ever do is get that first client because that you know it just validates the whole the whole strategy and it you know you start getting revenue in and suddenly you know you've got some momentum but how you do that how do you get that first client i think obviously if you've got if you've got something decent to show you really believe in it you've got a passion for it get it in front of people obviously i think i i was lucky that i had a network of people that i knew that would 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 take a meeting mm. you know so have you got that you know if you haven't if you haven't got that it's very very difficult i think yeah. but but it's also you know i think the world we live in now it's it's you know there's a, there are routes to market that make it easier you know there's you know, there's online demos, there's, you know, this social media, LinkedIn, all these other mechanisms that, you know, probably weren't as prevalent, you know, when, when I started no. Logic back in 2009. So it's probably a bit different. It's possibly easier in some ways, but it's, it's getting the first client is, is, is key. Getting some money in because it suddenly gets a lot easier after that.
I'm seeing from um, talking to lots of leads like you and particularly um, successful leaders um, like yourself, there seems to be two important factors. Um, one, there's a co-founder that is sales orientated. Yeah. Two, you've got a product that solves a problem rather than an idea that you think would be good. Yeah, yeah, I think. Obviously, having having someone that that can sell get get a meeting, right? get yeah. people to speak, talk to you. You need to be able to yeah. open the door and get into into the room. I think the other thing I would say is that pre you know previously you know we we'd had situations where I've been involved in companies that were trying to sell technology, yeah, and and an idea of but they weren't solving a business problem, yeah, you know. And I think that's a key thing. You've got yeah. to come in and say, you know, I'm going to solve this business problem it's not come in and have a look at this amazing technology because you know i'm a risk manager i don't you know i don't even know what that means yeah if you come in and say i'm you've you've got this problem and this technology solves that problem for you and therefore your life's going to be easier or you're going to be able to get the numbers to your ceo faster or you're going to loot you know you're going to mitigate this risk or you're going to make more profit you know that resonates with people so you've got to come up with a a product that that is solving a problem or gate or giving someone something that they they want Mm. and and technology in itself is not not that technology enables you to do that but it doesn't it's not a means to an end no excellent oh well i've really enjoyed this conversation um what can we see over the the next couple of years from uh from from cube logic well i think you know we've got additional products we're launching we've got you know, some new markets we're going after we're gonna again we've expanded the leadership team you know i think um yeah we're just you know we are you know we're on a roll now and uh we're just gonna you know just keep going i think for the for a while still full of energies uh, uh as ever absolutely yeah excellent lee thank you very much for your time i really appreciate uh you sharing your uh, your insight and knowledge of your journey with cube logic um and uh, long may it continue yeah thanks james good to talk to you if you like what you've heard today please rate review and subscribe we want you to get involved with tech sales craft and become part of our growing community thanks for joining us